Love you guys. Love you, church. Always good to be here. It's good to see you. Uh, worship team really messed me up because, as you can tell, I'm really trying to uh, conserve my voice. But so how can you not sing, right? How can you not, how can you not do that? Uh, ah, thank you so much. So uh, if it goes bad today, it's because the worship team, right? Um, but man, just so good, just uh, sensing the presence of God's love today. Uh, you know, God's love is so great that he even loves Tom Brady. Can you, can you imagine that? He even loves Tom Brady. I'm just kind of curious, you know. I have no idea what the, what the, uh, the feelings are. I, I, Eagles? Who's going for the Eagles today? Who's voting for, who's rooting? Okay. I don't know. And then the rest of you guys, Patriots then, I guess, right? Really? Oh, just don't care. No one else? Okay. God loves Tom Brady. Come on. God, God loves Tom Brady. Don't, don't be mean. All right. Well, it's actually really important because, you know, we're, we're going through Romans, and it's, it's uh, Romans chapters 9, 10, 11, and Tongue started us last week on Romans, and um, it, it's this great chapter, uh, these great set of chapters, a lot of complex theology, but sometimes we get so uh, lost in theology, we, we forget what Paul's really passionate about, and what he's passionate about is there's all these lost people in the world. That, that's what 9, 10, and 11 are about. He's, he's looking at you know, the gospel, and he's saying, gosh, all these people, he looks at the world, he's like, all these people are coming to Christ, but they're all Gentiles, and not Jews, and he's Jewish, and he's like, well, what's going on? And he's Jewish, of course, too, so he's thinking about all these people that he loves so desperately, the people that has tradition upon tradition, the, the, the nation of Israel, who has its history with God, they've been elected, the, the chosen people, and as the gospel's going forth, it just seems like, what is going on? Where, where is God in all of this? And so he has these, this very complex uh, theology about how God chooses people, and maybe God is choosing the Gentiles at this time. I mean, yeah, that God is choosing the Gentiles at this time so that more Jews might come later, and he's rejecting the Jews now, and so that more Gentiles could come now. It's really confusing. It's really confusing. But uh, Tung summarized it really well. Last week, he said, the sign of God's love and mercy upon all of us is when you go and get coffee with someone. That's what he said. That's how we know that God is choosing everyone. God's choosing anyone. As long as you're having coffee with them and sharing about Christ with them, sharing the love, sharing your life with them, that's, that's a sign of God's choosing that person when you go out and have coffee with them. So that's chapter 9. So chapter 10 is more of that. It's more, a little more intensely about Go have a lot of coffee and have a lot of coffee with gusto. So this, is, this particular chapter, chapter 10, is about this thing called Christian witness, right? We're supposed to go out and share the message of Jesus with others, Christian witness. Now, when you hear that term, and when I, when I, heard, when I knew what this passage is about, this caused me a lot of trouble, okay? Because if, if you're like me, I don't know, I don't like witnessing. I don't like the pressure that that comes when you tell me you need to go witness. And the reason why, sounds bad as a pastor, let me just tell you a little bit of the background. When I came to Christ, that was in my college years, and this was in the early 90s. Now, this was during a time, nothing bad, I'm not saying anything bad, but this is a time where when they told you about witnessing, they gave you a script. I don't know about you guys, okay, but this is, this is the way I learned it. All right? And it was even propagated through my seminary class. I don't think they do that in seminary anymore. But my seminary class was like this. So my seminary, he's the uh, president. 
he wrote this curriculum, this kit called Got Jesus. Remember Got Milk, right? So he wrote this thing called Got Jesus, and it was a script that you were supposed to memorize, you would go through, and if you went through a lot of it, you would actually give them the track that had the gospel in there, and you would go through the track and hopefully lead them to Christ. And so in my evangelism class, okay, this is a class you get graded on. You get graded on your evangelism, all right? I had to memorize the script. You memorize a script, and then you had to go out and witness to people, strangers, right? And so after every time you talk to a person, you get graded. I, I get points. So I get points of how far in the script I got. I got points for if I was able to give the tract. I got points if I was how far I was able to go through the tract. I got points, extra points, if I was able to get the person just, you know, to pray with the person. And of course, you get extra bonus points if they come to Christ, right? That's what we did in seminary, right? We were on fire for Jesus. I mean, if I gave you that, as a pastor, thinking about this, this chapter 10 is about Christian witness. If I gave that to you, I mean, that just took, that just took all the fun out of witnessing. I mean, it just, it just made witnessing the most horrible thing that any Christian would ever, you call anyone to do. Right? And I think that's kind of how we feel when it comes to this thing called Christian witness. It's like, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's really scary. It just doesn't sound fun. I mean, Christians don't like it, and non-Christians, they don't like it either, especially in Seattle. They don't like it when they come up to you, when you come up to them, and you want to talk to them about Jesus, right? So there was this kind of crisis for me this week when we were thinking about, how do I share to you? Because obviously, God doesn't God want us, if this news is really good, which we all believe, it's really good, amen? It's really good. If it's really good, how can we spread the message? How can we proclaim well where it's not so, maybe, I don't know, awkward, maybe can't avoid that? But one of these things that, we're, that these witnessing tools were trying to do is they were trying to take, to remove the vulnerability and the risk of sharing your faith. And I think when you have that starting point, you're already set up to fail because it's always going to require, the Christian life always is going to require some measure of vulnerability and risk when you talk about faith, right? So what do we do then? How do we, how do we approach this whole thing where we have a lot of us, so many internal uh, things that say, I don't really want to do this. Well, let's just start and just maybe with a clean slate and start with scripture. Let's start with what the Bible says where we need to start. That would be a good place, okay? So let me pray, and we'll get into, get into the, uh, Romans chapter 10. Lord God, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for uh, the series that we're going through. Thank you for your powerful word. Thank you for Romans 10. Thank you for the way that you changed um, this man named Paul, who was so self-righteous, uh, so full of himself, so... He, he thought he had his identity centered in you, but it was just a little off-center, and it just, it, it meant everything, Father, for <clears throat> how that identity just uh, uh, revealed itself in such warped ways that he was really rejecting you when he thought he was following you. You couldn't even see that. And so thank you, Father, that the gospel pierced his heart and freed him, freed him of guilt and shame, and fear, sin, and death, so that we could read his words, words that you inspired, that would also change us. 
And so, Father, as we talk today about this thing called Christian witness, which a lot of us have just different experiences with, Father, I pray we would get to the core of what propels witness so that we can truly be your witnesses, Lord, in this world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 10, all right, beginning at verse 1. And here it is. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. That's where it begins. That's where it starts. My heart's desire. My heart's desire. My heart's desire. My love and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And then Paul gives a couple of verses just explaining where is this love coming from. I can testify about them. That they, he's talking about the Israelites, the Jews, that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Remember, he's looking at the Israelites and saying they're still stuck in the law. They're still thinking that their righteousness comes from the law. Uh, verse 3, since they did not know the righteousness of God, the righteous, the atoning blood of Christ, right, that sought to establish, the, but sought to, to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They didn't know God's righteousness. Verse 4, Christ is the culmination of the law. He's everything that the law points to. He's everything that the law was trying to achieve, was trying to achieve. all the righteousness, all the covering of sin. Christ is the one who covers all our sin. Christ is the one who sets us free. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So that's, that's what is, is controlling Paul. And so where do we begin? Paul begins where Jesus begins, where you and I should begin, and that's love. It's love. Do we love people? It's that simple. And how do you know? Because we can say we love people all we want, but how do you know if you really love people? Love always must result in an action. You can say you love someone, you can think you can love someone, but it's always going to result in some type of action. Well, the evidence of that, what, what Paul says, he puts love and prayer. So Christian witness begins with love in our hearts for people. And the evidence of that is you would actually be praying for people that you're trying to reach. All right, so there it is. There it is. Are you praying for people? Are you trying to reach people? Are you praying for them? Do not witness without the love of God and prayer. All right, don't try to do that. Do not witness to other people without the love of God and prayer. And so you ask that question, is that where we usually begin? Is, is that where you usually begin? When you think about the Christian witness and your responsibility or your calling, so to, to, is that where you begin? Do you begin with love and do you begin with prayer? Because usually, I think for us, and that we usually begin in a different place. We usually think about what's the worst thing that's going to happen to me, right? What is this going to cost me? How is this going to reflect on me? How embarrassed will I be? Will I get it right? How shameful, you know, will I be, right? And at the very least, it's really important to, to name that, to at least call that. Because it would just be really foolish of us to go along and say, yeah, I really do love people. You know, and so I'll do this, and I'll force myself to do this. But God already knows. God doesn't. God already knows that you don't love people that much. God already knows you don't really love your neighbor that much. You want me to witness my coworker, that guy? Are you crazy? God already knows. And so the first thing we do is we need to at least get it out of the way that we need to admit 
where we don't love. Admit that we're scared. Admit that we're not so excited about this particular project that he has for us. Right? So we, but we need to start. And so if we get the confession out of the way, we can start the road of repentance. Look at Romans chapter 9, verse 1. It's up here. Because remember, 9, 10, 11 go together. Uh, Paul starts out Romans chapter uh, 10, verse 1, the same way he starts out Romans 9, uh, verse 1. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. He says, I have great sorrow. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And he says these amazing words. He says, for I wish, I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. So where does the Christian witness begin? Chapter 10, verse 1. It's the same as chapter 9, verse 1. It begins with his passionate love for people. Passionate love for people. That's where it is again. That's what Paul's about. He says the Christian witness goes forth because of passionate love for people. And then he says, I would even give up. And we can't, it's hard for us to imagine these words. Paul says that I would even give up my salvation. I would give up my knowing of who Christ is if I could give that up in exchange that the people of Israel would know Jesus. Wow. And then as, as seminary students, as, as Bible students or things like that, we, we really want to, you know, does he really mean that? And what is the Greek etymology for cut off, right? We can really go deep into that, but that's not the point. We miss the point entirely. The point is that Paul is so caught up, he's willing to be cut off. He's so in love with Jesus. He's been so changed and transformed by the gospel that in this moment of being filled with such love, he says, I would sacrifice everything because the love is that, because the love is that good, is that powerful that I would sacrifice everything so that others might know Christ. That's the heart of the matter. That's the kind of love that the gospel has transformed in him because he's a person who's been set free. He's so set free. As we've been talking about this from chapters 1 through 8, he's been so set free from sin. Sin is not my master anymore. He knows that. He's living that out. The Holy Spirit is in me. I have power to live this Christian life. I don't get it right all the time, but he's living that. And so there's no more shame that I feel about things I've done in the past. There's no more guilt and burden that I carry of my sins. There's no more fear that God is going to condemn me or that God is trying to get me or he's out to, that he hates me. All of that is washed away, and he's just free, and he's free to love. And when you're filled with that kind of love, you're willing to do a lot for others. You really are. When you're filled with that kind of contagious, unconditional love, you're willing to do a lot for others. That gets past your fears, that gets past that fear of risk, that vulnerability. You'll do a lot to meet the love, to love others, because Christ has so freed and loved you. And so, let me just ask you, all right, just real simple, what God is asking you, do you love people? Do you love people? Do you love people in your life? And let's just say outside of your family, okay, outside of your kids, if you have a spouse and kids, I'm, I'm, I know you love them, all right? But outside of that, do you love people? Another way to think about it is this, let me ask the question this way, because 
I ask a lot of people, do you love people? And they'll say yes. And we throw that term around all the time, and you see like on TV, and there's these reality shows, and people hate each other, but they always tell you, I love you, right? You ever see that? You're like, what are you guys talking about? You know, I love you as a friend. Well, so, something, you know, just really lame, right? We, we use that word, term, I love you. It just has very little meaning. The way I want you to think about this, if you really love people, think about this. Do people that you know, do people that you know, do they know that you love them? Do the people around you that are in your sphere, do they know that you love them? Do people know that you love them? Does your coworker know that you love them? Does your boss know that you love them? Does your neighbor know that you love them? People in your fellowship, do the people in your fellowship group actually know that you love them? The people in your small group, that your small, this is like your core group, this is the people you're supposed to like really try hard to love, right? You know, they're your small group, they're your community. Do, peop, do, do people in your small group, do they actually know that you love them? Like when they look at you like, man, that, that person's for me, that person's got my back. You know, they, they've stated things in ways, just the, the, their intention. They've had coffee with me. I mean, do they know that you love them? Because if they, if you really love people, people know it. People sense it. People feel it. And when you love, it's just easy. It becomes easy to bear witness. If you don't love, don't witness. It's going to be bad, all right? And so when you think about this, too, when you think about witnessing, what's the worst that can happen, church? Right? Especially in our world. What's the worst that can happen, especially here in the U.S.? Right? Maybe our feelings get hurt if we get rejected. I mean, obviously, there's parts of the world we know where people lose their lives for speaking and for, for defending the name of Christ. But the worst thing that could happen here in the U.S. is that people just think you're weird. Right? That's really the worst thing that can happen. People think you're weird. Now, I just wanted to let you know that if your coworkers and your non-believing you know, family or coworkers or friends, if they know you're Christian, trust me, they already think you're weird. Okay? Because, you know, like, and, it, and they're reminded of your weirdness every Sunday during football season and even today. Because they're like, wait a minute, you're going to go, instead of going to the Seahawks game or instead of watching, like foregoing, watching the Seahawks game, you're telling me you're going to spend two hours at church and worship Jesus? on a Sunday morning, like, you'd rather do that first, or you're going to miss the game because of that, that's weird, guys. That's really weird. <laughs> it really is. So they already think you're weird, okay? But if you were to love them and share Jesus with them and share your love of Jesus with them and just share your love with them, they'll be like, you know what? They're weird, but they're good kind of weird. I like their weirdness. They're okay. So they already think you're weird. So for you to take that extra step to say, God, how can I love even more intentionally, more beautifully, more, more um, generously, and to begin to pray and pray and pray for them when you're at work, when you guys are working side by side in a team, your boss, you could pray for them. Not, let me pray, let's pray, not like that, but under your, you know, as your as you're eyes wide open praying for them. I did that all the time when I was working. Do you love people? All right? So begin with love 
and prayer. And then Paul launches in this next section, he, he launches into a string of Old Testament quotes. And it would take me too long to go through each Old Testament quote. He's, he's preaching, but he preaches in a way that we don't do today. He's actually stringing along about four or five different Old Testament quotes, okay? But it makes sense. But let me give you the point that Paul is, is giving here because this text is confusing. Let me give you the point first, and then we'll read it. Paul's point is this in these next couple of verses, is that when you witness, when you decide you're going to, you choose that you're going to love, Paul's going to say, he's saying that no, have confidence, confidence that God is with you, that God is speaking through you, that God is literally speaking through you. And as you're speaking to a person or as you're sharing about Jesus, that God is also speaking to that person. Have that kind of confidence. Have without a doubt that the Spirit of God is speaking. How do we get that? What does it say? Verse 5. Paul says, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. Okay, already I'm confused, right? So Paul's just saying first. Moses used to write, okay, Moses wrote the law. This is verse 5. Moses wrote the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And he says, the law is given so that people live by them. Okay, we get that. That's how that's the, the Old Testament. That's how Jews live, right? Verse 6, contrast. But, so there's a righteousness that comes just by being a lawgiver, law reader, law obeyer. Contrast, there's a righteousness, there's a different righteousness, which we know today, which is by faith, that says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down? Who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? Okay, what are you talking about, Paul? Right? What does it say? The word is near to you. Okay, so let me just explain this really quick. Paul has a lot of, stringing a lot of Old Testament um, verses in, into this. And so you have to do two things. You have to read what he's saying, but then just for your hermeneutics, just so you know, that whenever you see uh, writers having an Old Testament quote, you not only look at the words that it's saying, but you also look at the context, the context from where it came from back in the Old Testament. The context is also part of the message, not just the words. It's a really important. So the context of what Paul is saying, where he's stringing these words, who will descend into the deep, who will go up to heaven, so forth. Moses was talking to the Israelites, and he's saying, look, I know that sometimes it feels like God's word is far away. And it literally was far away. Because when Moses wrote the Ten Commandments, what were they? They were on tablets of stone, right? And they had these tablets of stone, and they were locked up somewhere. It's not like you could go in there and touch them. Or feel, I mean, you would, your face would melt, right? I mean, according to, right, Raised Lost Ark, your face would melt, right? If you, okay, you didn't see that movie. All right. Anyway, so <laughs> they were locked up. And, and Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, and they were, they were scattered fragments and their scrolls. And again, these things were not accessible to you. You couldn't go and say, what does Leviticus say? You, you, you couldn't do that. These scrolls, these doc, they, were, they were locked up. And so it seemed like, what is the word of God? And what is God saying to you? Know, you'll be walking around the desert. What is God saying to us? What is God doing? You know, the word of God is just so far away from us. We're so far removed. And what Moses was doing in this moment, he was encouraging Israel. He said, no, the word of God is closer than you think. It's closer than you think. It's near to you. And so he's using that Old Testament, that context, these words in the same way. He says, look, Christian, he's talking to Christians. He says, Christian, when you're speaking the word of God and when you're trying to share Jesus with someone and you're straining to think like, where is God? 
You know, I need, I need a word from him. I, I need him to help me. But God seems so far away. He says, no, it's not like that. The word of God is near to you. It's so close that God is speaking. It's like he's on your lips and he's in your heart. That's what he says. The word, verse 8, is near to you. It is in your mouth. It's in your heart. You see the kind of confidence that, that he's, he's bringing? He's saying when you are, are out there choosing to be a Christian witness that, and you're speaking those words, whatever, words of comfort, words of love, words of the gospel, whatever it might be, that those words are somehow becoming the word of God, that the spirit is anointing them, that it's so close. You don't have to like, where is God in this? No, God's word is on your, it's on your tongue. It's in your mouth. It's on your lips. God is empowering this conversation. I know it's really clunky. may not feel right, but he's saying God is there. He's empowering this, this conversation. It's so close to you. Again, verse 8, the word is near to you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the message concerning the faith that we proclaim. There's a proclamation that somehow is coming out through your words that the Holy Spirit is speaking to the other person. And it's so close that if they would just declare with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him the dead, that you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and you are saved. He's saying salvation is right here. Salvation is like in the moment. The, the, the power of a transformed life is right in the midst of that conversation. It's on the words. And the power is right there if they just, if they just give their lives to Christ. Wow. Wow. Because that's hard because a lot of times we feel like, I don't know where the power is. You know that verse where, um, uh, you know, Jesus says to his disciples, you know, if you get in front of kings and leaders and they ask you about Jesus, you know, what should we say? What do we say? I don't know what to say. And uh, Jesus says, don't worry about that. The Holy Spirit will give you words to know what to say. See, I don't know if we really believe that. I mean, that's why we have Christian witnessing tools. Not that they're bad, okay? But that's why we, we, we people create scripts. Hey, if you follow this, because I don't know what to say. So follow this. But Jesus said, don't follow that. <laughs> Jesus said, follow the Spirit. The Spirit's going to give you words to say. Where's your confidence in that? And so it's really interesting. There's two words in Greek. They are both translated word, W-O-R-D, okay? Logos, a lot of you guys know logos. Logos means word. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was, the word was with God. The word was God. Okay, that's logos. Logos means the the set, the written word of God, like your Bible, your scripture. Of course, we know it's Jesus as well. L-O-G-O-S. The second word in Greek for word is rima, R-H-E-M-A. Rima also is translated to word. So you actually have to look at the Greek text to figure out, wait, are they using logos or are they using rima? So here in verse 8, they're actually using the word rima. What rima, how that's different, it's translated to word in the same way. But rima means the spoken word of God. It means when God is speaking to that moment. A lot of Christians sometimes say, right, I feel like God's speaking to me. Or I feel God's leading me or heard God say to me, right? They didn't hear a literal voice, but they know God is speaking to them in that moment. That's what that word is here. God is saying that when you're on this endeavor, and you're, again, you're choosing to love your coworker, your neighbor, your friend, or whoever it might be, and you're actually 
brave to, and, 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 and speaking through the Holy Spirit these words. And even though it seems really clunky, and even though it seems like you just did a really poor presentation, you didn't know what you were doing, the Word of God says is that the speaking active Word of God is on your tongue. And so maybe it doesn't come out right as you're hearing it, but somehow there's power in it. And God has been speaking to the other person that, you've been, that you're trying to talk to. And that speaking word of God, that personal word is speaking to them. It's relational, always has been, right? And so when you think about that, I mean, I hope that, doesn't that just build your confidence a little bit more? I hope that builds your joy a little bit more. Again, this isn't the typical place that we start. A lot of people, when we start to witness, they think about, uh, uh, just again, confession here. <clears throat> a lot of times when I begin that road and, and I know I'm going down this path of a conversation with someone where it's going to get pretty deep pretty fast, right? I start noticing, I start becoming an unbeliever. Like, I'm witnessing to an unbeliever, and I'm the Christian, I have faith, I'm supposed to have faith, but as we get closer to that road where I know this conversation is leading, I feel myself becoming an unbeliever. You know why? These, these, these doubts start coming to my head. It says things like this. This person is way too smart to become a Christian. Or this person is way too ignorant to become a Christian. Or this person is way too rich. They'll never become a Christian. This person's way too poor. They'll never become a Christian. This person's way too sheltered. They'll never become a Christian. This person's way too worldly. They're way out there. They'll never become a Christian. This person is way too pessimistic. They'll never become a Christian. This person is way too optimistic. They don't need Jesus, you know? You know, they'll never come to Christ. Have you had those thoughts? Where it's like you start becoming the unbeliever. <laughs> and so, come on, how can an unbeliever witness to an unbeliever? I want you to know that God is really good. He'll forgive you all your sins. Um, I think he's done that for me, maybe half. I don't know, but if, if you accept him, he'll do all of that for you, I'm sure. You know, it just doesn't work that way. There's nothing convincing about that, you know, at all. And then you go and you just have this fear, like, God, are you really going to come through? Are you really speaking to people? Because my words are so weak. God, are you really here in the Rima? Not the logos. The logos is this set word, static. It's here. Are you really speaking to people in the rima, in the now moment, where they're really hearing your words and it's, it's, it's infused with the power of the Holy Spirit so that people might know, come to know Christ? Are you really doing that? You know, I had a, uh, when I was working uh, for the Navy as an engineer, uh, one thing that I would do it was intentional. Uh, during lunch times, I just read my Bible every day. During lunch time, just open up my Bible. And read. That was intentional. I mean, I was in an office by myself. I did have an office mate. He was he was Catholic. <clears throat> Try to convert him to that. No, he's a really good Catholic. Really good Catholic. But um, one of my friends, his name is Chad. And he was a mechanical engineer. He um, not a Christian, uh, no church background. He would he would come in once in a while. And he would just notice how I read my Bible, and we would, he would ask me questions. You know, what are you reading? What did you read today? And um, he was just really interested. And so uh, we would just have this conversation, and we were really good friends as well. And just over a period of about five months, just more and more, it's like every day he would come. Every day he would come for lunch, and we would just sit, and we would talk about Scripture, about what we're reading. And he would ask me all these questions, all these questions I didn't know. 
you know, all the controversial questions, too, you know, and things about, you know, abortion and politics and homosexuality, wh whatever it is. You know, I, I don't know the answer to all those things. Um, I wasn't a seminary student or anything at the time. Um, even if you're a seminary student, you still don't know. You still don't know. Um, but anyway, after a time, we would, it, it, it turned into conversations about Scripture to Bible study about Jesus. And one day he just was like, you know, Roy, I'm just ready. I'm just ready. I was like, okay, I'm ready too. Let's do this. You know, I've been praying for him and, you know, in the name of Jesus that, you know, he would, he would, his heart would be opened up. So me and my Catholic buddy, you know, we prayed for him and he came to Christ. All right. This is at work. Your federal dollars used for, <laughs> are being used for religious purposes. Okay. Do not put that on the web. All right. Do not. You're religious, okay? Federal dollars, okay? That's what, that's what happened. <clears throat> now, that's a miracle, all right? There was a greater miracle. Let me tell you what it was. All throughout the whole time that I was like, God, this is, this is, this is weird. Like, he's, he's coming to Christ. Like, he's opening his heart. The weird thing where I was fearful, where my, my faith, I didn't have that confidence, was like, he's married. He was married, Okay? And the whole time that we're having these conversations, I have no access to, like, and I was just scared. I don't know. I was just scared, too. I was just thinking, if this guy comes to Christ, this might really, I don't know, it might mess up his marriage. That's just the way I thought. They were, they were like, married for about two years, you know. His wife didn't sign up for him becoming a Christian. I just have, I have no idea how they, they react. But it's just a big deal. It's a big deal. It was a big deal, this, the way this guy transformed. But uh, like I said, as we were going, I just had this fear. It's like, oh, no, if he becomes a Christian. It was almost like a bad thing. <laughs> it's almost like a bad thing. Like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I want him to become a Christian. Like, what if it messes up his marriage? I mean, that's, that's the thoughts I had. So anyway, about a week later, and I think the timing's right. Man, my memory's getting a little fuzzy. But about a week later, he comes back and says, Roy, you won't believe this. I found out that a couple days ago, my wife came to Christ. And I'm like, what? <laughs> How's that possible? You know? What? What? Because they, 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 they don't go to church. They have no religion or anything like that. And then he explains to me, well, you know, during that time, this, you know, I found out that my wife just told me that she's been watching, she's been watching religious programming, TV stuff. You know, and if you were alive during the 90s, like, God was not in that stuff, okay? I'm just letting you know, God was not, God could not have possibly used religious broadcasting in the 90s, okay? I'm just kidding, sort of, you know, but, I mean, it was just so bad. It was so bad. It was worse than having those tracks, you know? I'm like, how could anyone possibly come to Christ through the TV show? I mean, because it was religious programming, just trust me, it was so bad. But that's what happened. She came to Christ through some really interesting ways. You know, but anyway, the offering, the, the, it was there for her to receive her, and she gave her life to Christ, and he didn't even know it. He just found out after he told her. Like, yeah, you know what? A couple of days ago, that happened to me. <laughs> like, what? <clears throat> the Rima. The Rima, empowered by the Numa, the Spirit, the Rima, empowered by the Numa, it's there. It's, it's, God is saying, 
it's the, the power of salvation. God has been working, and the power of salvation, it could happen at any moment. And we wish it would happen more often. I, I get it. But I think part of the wish of, happening, of, of wanting it to happen more often, part of it is because we don't believe that it's happening, right? Because if we believed it was happening more, then we would be bolder and have more joy in initiating those type of conversations so that the rima, the word, could actually be on that person's lips. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I confess that he's my Lord and Savior. I need to hurry up. Um, what I wanted to say, too, is that um, <clears throat> it, it might seem scary. See, the reason why we have these witnessing tracks and things like that is because we, we try to have a strategy for you. And, and I get it, right? Because if, if God has this worldwide evangelism goal, the vision, you want a strategy behind it. If someone says, I have this amazing plan, where's the strategy, the business strategy? I want that. If a guy says, I have the same plan, another guy here says, I have that same plan he has, but I have zero strategy. Who are you going to go with? I'm going with that guy with the strategy, okay? That's how I am, right? We had our leaders orientation yesterday, right? We didn't go through too much in strategy, but we have all of our outcomes. We have strategy. I go with strategy. When you read Jesus' strategy, we, for worldwide evangelism, we fool ourselves, guys. We, we blind ourselves. We think, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing strategy in the world. Jesus' strategy for worldwide evangelism is amazing. It's strategic. It's so detailed. It's so powerful. Let me, let me read to you Jesus' evangelism strategy. Acts 1.8, it says, um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So that's the power. That's good. We need the power. Here's the strategy. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The power is the Holy Spirit. The strategy is you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay? That's not a strategy, guys. That's not. That's geography. He was talking to disciples who were already in Jerusalem. They were in that house, right? And he said, so here's the strategy. You're just going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They're already in Jerusalem. You're going to be my witnesses in Judea. And so in order to get from Jerusalem or even to just go into, like, to cover Jerusalem, you have to, you have to walk around, right? And to get to Judea, well, they're actually already in Judea. But to exit Jerusalem to leave, because uh, Jerusalem is in, the, is in Judea, it's the region, Judea is like the King County, okay, that, like that, um, that you just have to keep walking. And then you go to Samaria, so if you just keep walking north from Judah, you get to Samaria, so you're just walking. This is the strategy. And then to the ends of the earth, so you leave Samaria and you just go to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus' strategy is just walk. That's all it is. It's just geography. It's just walk. It's walk in the power of of the Spirit, okay? That's Jesus' master plan, is you have to learn to walk. Get out of where your zone is and walk in the Spirit to where other people are. Just walk. And so it's kind of scary for us because like a lot of us, we want to follow someone who has a master plan where it's really strategic, but we are following God who has no plan for his master strategy except for us to get our feet Walking. That's why in verse 15 says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But what if I stumble as I'm walking? 
Well, God's going to help pick you up. What if I start sinking in the waters and drowning? Cry out to God. He's going to lift you back up. Walk in love. Walk in the spirit. Enjoy in the adventure and the risk of life that's everlasting, and you share it with others. Let me tell you one more thing just about strategy. And, like, I read books, too. I read apologetic books. I think they're important. Read apologetic books. It's, it's good. Having a strategy is okay, too, okay? But listen, ultimately, you cannot, you're not going to be able to win people's hearts, and you yourself will not be transformed if what you're relying upon is a witnessing strategy, okay? Because a lot of witnessing strategies, the problem is this. A lot of witnessing strategies say, go out. Like, go talk to strangers. Right? Go to the park, go to the school, go to, go to your workplace, go on the subway, whatever it is, and just talk to people. And by you overcoming that fear, that when you overcome that fear, that's the transformation in you, that's the spiritual transformation in you that's required so that you'll be bold. That's not true. It is not true. It is not true. That is not spiritual transformation to overcome your fear of, of social rejection. That is not spiritual transformation. Let me, let me tell you why there's, there's a, uh, this emphasis. It's not going to work in the long run. I am afraid of sharks. Anyone else here afraid of sharks? Okay. Yeah, I don't want to watch Sharknado. Don't make me watch that movie, okay? It'll make me more fearful that there could be a shark tornado and, you know, we could get eaten, all right? Okay, so I'm afraid of sharks. I'm terrified, but here's what I know. If you force me to enter a shark cage for a week, let's say a week, and you say, Roy, you're going to go in that shark cage every day, and every day you're going to spend an hour in there, okay? So the first two days, yeah, I'm terrified. I go in the shark cage. I know they can't get to me, but still, I'm terrified, you know. But at first two days, I'm terrified. Third day, still terrified, but at least I could breathe. I could breathe. Fourth day goes by, fifth day goes by, sixth day goes by, seventh day, seventh day, I'm okay. It's like I know how to put the scuba gear on, I know how to get in the cage, you know, I can go in all by myself, I'm fine, right? I have finally conquered my fear of sharks. I'm cured of my fear. But you'll know what? I'll never, once I'm cured of my fear of sharks, I'll never go back in the shark cage after I've conquered my fear. You know why? You guys know why? Because I don't love sharks. I don't love sharks. Why would I go around there? Why would I hang around with them? I'm not scared of them anymore either. I haven't changed anything. There's nothing here that's been fundamentally transformed in the image of God. I don't love sharks. So that's the thing, is that if we go out and witness, and we tell people, want to tell people about Jesus, it's not going to work. Nothing's going to be changed or transformed in you unless we get to the root of the issue, which Paul says, you start and you end here, is love and prayer. And it releases you to go out and to walk. I'm all for strategy. I'm all for reading apologies and, and books. But those things need to be empowered and motivated by the love of Christ because of his gospel, his righteousness has covered us. Amen? Okay, that's the best non-strategy, love, all right? Okay, oh my goodness. Okay, let me finish this up. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? How can they hear? Here it is. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? Verse 15, how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's a string of questions that Paul gives to, to, the, uh, uh, to the church. He says, how can they call? He's, he 
He's saying, how can believers, non-believers, call on Jesus? How can non-believers believe? How can people who don't know God, how can they hear? But the last question is for us. How can anyone preach unless they're sent? God seems to have this perspective that there's a lot of people out there who are ready to call on Jesus. God seems to have this perspective there's a lot of people out there who don't know God that are ready to believe. There are a lot of people out there who don't know God who are ready to hear the gospel. God seems to think that the harvest is plentiful and we need more workers. Sometimes we think the opposite. We think when we look out there, especially in Seattle, we would say, man, there aren't a lot of people out there that are ready to call on Jesus. There are a lot of, there are a lot of people out there that are not ready to believe, not ready to know the Lord, not ready to receive. God, we need you to do more. God, pour out your love more. Shine your light more. Have more compassion. God, show up. God, where are you? But Paul, he gives the question, and he says, how can anyone preach unless they're sent? And so the question is, are you sent? Are you sent? Are you sent? Are you a sent one? Did God give you a mission? Are you on God's mission? Are you sent? Are you sure that you're sent? Because if you don't believe that you're sent, you won't go. If you don't believe you're sent, you won't go. And if you won't go, nobody gets to hear. And if nobody hears, no one's going to believe. And if no one believes, no one is going to call on the name of the Lord. And then so as a Christian, it'll look like no one's calling on the name of the Lord. But from God's perspective, no one's calling on the name of the Lord because no one's being set to go out. We think it's God's fault. Are you sent? Are you sent? Can I have the worship team come up? Are you sent? <clears throat> Church, I, I don't need to, you know, these things, I don't need to tell you. Uh, you, you, all, you already know these things. You already know Matthew 28, you know? You already know these things. Matthew 28, 18, 20. You, you already know that. I, I, I know. You probably know it by heart, right? Go and make disciples, right, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You, you've already been sent. You are his sent ones. And it's a calling that should bring you joy. It should bring you joy. And I don't want anyone to feel guilty. If, if that calling does not bring you joy, all I want to say is this. It's just, you just need maybe a little more knowledge, a little more understanding of the gospel, and that's okay. We're all growing. We're all different stages. But if that calling is just this thing of pressure on you, I just want you to know that's not Jesus. And you just admit that to God and say, God, this is pressure. I don't understand it. Would you show me? Would you show me? Would you show me the way? Because God loves you. He's not trying to force anything upon you, okay? But I'm with my encouragement to you this. If, if sharing Jesus is this thing where it's like this burden, I'm gonna, it's horrible, I don't want to do it. If it does not release joy in you, I want, I'm going to encourage you to run to the gospel. I want you to run to understanding this freedom that is found in Christ. I want you to run to Jesus and run to the gospel, and then from there you begin to learn how to walk towards others. Okay? But this is not some type of 
Man, you need to do this and hammer it into you. And you just need to go out there and just share the gospel, even though you like hate it. No. If you don't have love, don't share, please. <laughs> You'll do more damage, <laughs> you know, to the kingdom. But God wants you first to be captured in his love. And this gospel that brings us freedom from guilt and fear and shame and condemnation so that you're free to love. It's, it's joyful, friends. It's joyful. Joyful. And then to walk in that spirit of love becomes so easy to share with others. It really does. It becomes so easy to share with others because it becomes so natural to you, the love of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time we have this morning. We love you, Lord, because you are the God that has set the captive free. So many of us, and you know, including Paul here, just our identities are just so scattered. And we try to find our identity, like Paul, he was a Jew, and you know, he obeyed the law, and he, he served God, and um, I mean... Uh, memorize the, uh, the Torah. I mean, there's so many things, God, that we try to do to establish our identity that we're, we're safe and secure and that we're somebody and we're, worth, we're, we're worthy of love in some ways. And God, all of that is just trash. All that is just nothing. When we admit just in ourselves that there's nothing good in us, there's nothing good in us that's worthy of your love. There's nothing in us that's worthy of your coming down to us but it's your love it's your declaration and your death on the cross that then makes us worthy so we find our fullest fulfillment our fullest identity we don't have to be fearful of judgment anymore we don't have to be burdened again by guilt and shame of our sin that we are rooted in the love of christ and that is gosh lord that that is everything that's our everything that's where our identity comes from. And so I just pray, Father, for all of us, as we're all thinking about people that we love in our lives, people that we love that do not know Jesus. And so, Father, I just pray for everyone as we think about those people, that the love of Christ, that we know the rima, that you would speak to us, speak to us the confidence, speak to us that, the, that you are with them, that you're with us, God, and that you want people to know you, that we would have that confidence, God, and that we would be bold enough to walk to walk, God, towards them. Fill us with your love, God. We love you so much, Father. Thank you so much for revealing uh, Jesus to us so that we might have the privilege and joy of helping to reveal Jesus to others in our lives. This week, God, may we all have a lot of coffee, a lot of coffee meetings as we walk towards people in our lives that are in desperate need of you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen, church.